I'm Maya Chupkov, and I'm a woman who stutters. Welcome to Proud Stutter, a show about stuttering and embracing verbal diversity in an effort to change how we talk about it, one conversation at a time. You may have read the extremely popular Atlantic feature, What Joe Biden Can't Bring Himself to Say, or the the, the New York Times film by James Robinson, I Stutter, This Is What You Are Not Hearing. Our guest, John Hendrickson, is the author of The Atlantic Story and the central character in the New York Times film. In a new book, he writes candidly about bullying, substance abuse, depression, isolation, and other issues stutters face on a daily basis. John Hendrickson is a senior editor at The Atlantic. The title of his upcoming book is Life on Delay, Making Peace with the Stutter, coming January 2023. Life on Delay is a reported memoir that grew out of his Atlantic feature, which was read by more than 2 million people and named one of the best stories of 2019 by long form. John has spoken about stuttering, politics, and journalism on several news outlets, including CNN, MSNBC. He lives in New York City with his wife. John, welcome to Proud Stutter and congratulations on your book. Thank you so much, Maya. I really appreciate you having me on here. It is so wonderful to have you, John, on Proud Stutter. My first question is, have you always wanted to write a memoir? I don't know if I always wanted to write a memoir in particular. I think as a kid, I always wanted to write a book when I was older. Most of the books I read, even in in elementary school and middle school, were nonfiction. And if they were fiction, I was always attracted to realistic fiction. I was never attracted to fantasy, sci-fi. And then as I got older through high school, college, after college, I definitely gravitated more toward memoir. Mary Carr, David, Darius, David Carr's memoir was a major influence on me in this project. But I really like the sort of investigative aspects of it because you're digging back into parts of your life that you may have forgotten about or blacked out or or not given enough consideration to and it's just a really cool exercise to put yourself back in this headspace of different different ages that's super interesting um i just want to say before we get any further how much i enjoyed and loved your book john so let's get into parts of the book so the first part of the book and one that really stuck out to me is the one where you talk about your kindergarten teacher 
and calling her up after all of these years. Can you talk about that chapter and also just the process of going back in time and forming and reforming these relationships? That was one of my favorite interviews I did for the book. I, I did about 100 interviews, a combination of people from my past, like my kindergarten teacher, my sixth grade girlfriend, my old therapist, and you know, the different parts of my life, people who were really important to me. And yet we had never talked about my stutter. It had always been healthy growth. And that one, my kindergarten teacher came about through a LinkedIn message from a total, total stranger who's, who said they were just on vacation in Maine and they happened to, it was a woman and she happened to meet up with her son's kindergarten teacher who in the course of their conversation began talking about this article she'd read about Joe Biden and realized it had been written by an old, by a kid who was in her kindergarten class. And so this kind woman just shared this nice, cool, cool story with me. And I asked, do you have Miss Bickford's contact and I'd love to get in touch with her. You know, I haven't talked to her in decades. And it took some back and forth, took a little bit of digging, and then I reached out to her. And then we made time to talk. And we had this incredible conversation. And I'm 34. So it was literally 30 years ago, I was in her class. And I did not have any memory. I did not have any idea if she would remember me or have anything to say about what I was like in class, anything, you know, you never know. But her recollections were just incredible. And, and it, it was one of my favorite conversations. And it was her, my kindergarten teacher, who had really first noticed that something was wrong with me. And in a parent-teacher conference or something of that nature, Miss Bickford told my mom, you should have him evaluated. Something's wrong. And so that whole mini saga um, is an early part of the book and kind of gets me going on this journey to talk with other people and to just would finally have these conversations that I've never had. And it's a weird exercise, you know. In some cases, you're reaching out to people who you absolutely lost touch with, and you're saying, hey, is it cool if we talk about this problem I have? But this were just mind-blowing conversations, and, and they've led to really powerful reconnected relationships and I've, I've kept in touch with these with people ever since I interviewed them 
and it's it was like a a, a perfect excuse just to make some long lost connections plus i think it brought us closer because it finally gave us a chance to sort of talk about this elephant in the room so many of the passages in your memoir put language to things that i never really put language to so that was extremely enjoyable and i am going to read a quote from another chapter in your book there's a voice in my head who reads this sentence and a much different voice who reads it out loud i'm 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 wondering is is this why you were so attracted to writing absolutely writing was really the venue where I could glimpse clarity and control and feel like I was my truest self. And it was always an escape for me from an early age. English was always my favorite subject. It's 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 always been a lot to me. Reading reading out loud is actively very hard for me. But I know there are people who stutter who don't mind reading out loud because they can really control their breath and airflow, and they find that rhythm. And it can it can be pretty smooth, but for me, even if I'm totally alone in a room and I were to read out loud from my own book, I would stutter. And that's hard, you know. That's sort of the the biggest wake up call that. This is not a not an intermittent issue. This is like truly woven into your DNA that even with no one else around, you stutter. And it's it's up to us to make peace with that, to accept that, and to get to a place where it's okay. While I was writing this book, my goal was to write roughly a thousand words a day, Monday through Friday, within a window of about 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And every night at 6 o'clock, my wife would come in and just being the amazing person she is would read that day's text out loud to me and I would lay on it lay down close my eyes and listen to it and figure out what was wrong with it you know say well 
that sentence needs to be tighter. That's three syllables should be two syllables. We need to cut that adjective. We need to get tighter, tighter, tighter. And doing that was a really fun exercise because it's it's that symbiotic relationship between the voice in your head that you read, but then obviously the out loud voice or another person's out loud voice and, and the interplay of all those and the way that they can connect or just connect. It was just really cool. Wow. That, that is such an amazing way to write a book. I feel like that's probably the most unique way ever. And I love it because as someone who, who stutters, that totally makes sense to, to, to me. And and how you write about you and your wife's relationship in the, the book is so sweet. One of the things you really kind of, you have a lot of stories around is your, your dating life. And um, a lot of listeners of Proud Stutter um, that's probably the most common topic they asked me to talk about on the show. And we did have one episode and it was mostly about me talking about all my embarrassing dating moments. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your dating experience and if you have any advice for anyone out there who stutters that might be struggling with, with dating right now. If I could go back and change anything about my time growing up in my dating life through adolescence, college, 20s, it would be disclosing my stutter more actively with more intentionality. I never really introduced myself as a person who stutters until a years ago. And it was obvious, you know, I am notably disfluent, but I could just never bring myself to do that. And it was just not the thing I was putting forward. And it was like I was walking around with the world's worst kept secret. And then for whatever reason, the night I met my now wife on our very first date, I opened up about being a person who stutters within the first 15 minutes of conversation. And I was met with radical acceptance and just total neutrality and understanding. And part of that is because my wife, Liz, has a different neurological disorder and just kind of immediately understood a lot of the layers of this whole thing. 
But another part of it was just because ooh, ooh, she's a good person. And I think as we all get older, you know, you move through your 20s and into your 30s, people are more accepting and people have met met individuals from all walks of life with all different disabilities, all, all different backgrounds. You know, everyone's bringing something different to the table. And we just get more mature. We just get more comfortable in our own skin. And I, and so I look back and I just wish that like as a teenager or even in college, I wish I could have just done that more in first conversation. I think disclosing early, like for me as well, really helped um, in my relationship, my dating life throughout my grade school years was like non-existent. (laughs) So, but that's for another episode. Um, (laughs) So you mentioned your writing process and how your wife helped you by reading out loud what you had written. Part of writing a book is going on a book tour, which probably involves a lot of public speaking and maybe reading, doing readings as well. And so I'm wondering, like, how are you approaching this book tour? Because you're still early in it, how you prepare for those public moments, I I guess. (laughs) It's it's hard because talking takes a lot out of me. Like even doing this interview, when it's over, I'll be very exhausted. And certain parts of my neck, throat, mouth, certain parts, they're just like those muscles will hurt. Um, but it's such a privilege and an honor just to be in invited to talk anywhere on any platform, podcast or um, at a bookstore or anywhere. So I don't have any room to complain about anything. I can't make any excuses and I can't, I can't let these opportunities pass by. My book tour kicks off on Hook day, I'll be in New York, and then I'm going to D.C., Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, Texas, Denver, Colorado, Los Angeles, and then uh, a bunch of colleges and um, other things like that. But in those cities I mentioned, all of those are at bookstores and all of those are going to be me in conversation with another author. And I'm curious about you, Maya, but I feel more comfortable in conversation than I do reading a prepared, prepared address or reading a chapter out of the book. But the improvisational nature of just talking with someone, I feel minimally comfortable with, um, but not entirely comfortable with. And the, you know, I'm, I'm much more 
looking forward to just meeting other people who stutter before and after those events and having little conversations in the hallway and um, inscribing books and just being able to talk to people that way than I am talking to a microphone in a bookstore. But it's it's a great, unique challenge. And it's it's such an honor to just go anywhere. And I feel like the more that people who stutter are talking into microphones, the better. I agree. And I think there's going to be a lot of tears shed at your events because like I can probably guarantee that there's probably going to be at least one person who stutters at each event that this is their first like stuttering event. You know what I mean? Um, So I think, yeah. So I'm just so excited for you and all the people you're going to meet along the way. That just seems like such a gift. The other like cool part of that is we as people who stutter are so used to being the only person in the room who stutters. And so to possibly create an environment in which, yes, there's one person in the room who stutters, but there are people in the audience who may like get up and ask the question. And when they do so, they may stutter. And all of the non-stutters in the room then have an opportunity to listen to all different types of stuttering, you know, not just one. Just creating a dynamic environment like that is really what I'm most excited about. Yeah, that's going to be incredible. Um, we recently had an event in San Francisco at the Booksmiths, um, which is an independent b- bookstore in the Haight. One of the the, the panelists w- was Nina G, and she talked a little bit about her book. But what was so amazing about that experience was there were a mix of people who stuttered and people who didn't. And also there was like one person who showed up that that was the first time that he's ever been around other people who stutter. The fact that you're creating these spaces for people to show up is just incredible. So let's go to another chapter of your book, the one about Jerome Ellis, who I deeply admire. Can you talk about your friendship with Jerome and a little bit about that chapter? Jerome and I were just texting yesterday, matter of fact. I, like a lot of people, first encountered him through his This American Light episode. One of the best pieces of radio I've ever heard. And I believe that segment won a Peabody Award. Um, And if there are any listeners who have never listened to it, definitely check it out. It's it's about 
rules that are meant to be broken. And Jerome is one of the most introspective, profound people I've ever heard talk about the topic of stuttering and talk about the way that it can change a room, change a space and just the layers of it, but in the internal nature of it, but also this higher power nature of it, it's, it's amazing. So I listened to that segment and then I just reshot it. And as I said, I'm reading this book. I would love to meet you and interview you. And the first time we chatted, it was in the first year of the pandemic. And so obviously everything was very remote and we were talking at a distance. And we did these multi-hour interviews that just long, whining, searching, open-ended conversations months apart. And then roughly a year later, we finally met in person. We just immediately had a bond and we've since have hung out in person many times since then. One of my happiest days of recent years was when Jerome knocked on my apartment door with a copy of his album, The Clearing, and we sat down on my living room couch and listened to it. And all of Jerome's work is worth checking out, but especially the clearing. I think that's a great introduction to his contribution to the world of stuttering. I'm obsessed with The Clearing. I listen to it all the time, and I'm just, it continues to give me goosebumps. I want to change gears a bit and talk about an article you wrote last year on CODA, which ended up winning the Academy Award. Even though I'm a hearing person, I found myself really the connecting to the main character and with my stutter. And I'm wondering if you felt the same way and if you can talk about that article and just pop culture and disability generally. Well, I'm a hearing person. I'm not a a deaf person. So I'll, I'll never truly know or understand what it's like to be a deaf person. I'll never know the layers of that. I'll never know the nuances of it. And I'll never pretend to. What I hope I can understand is the broader challenges around communication when the overwhelming majority of the population communicates one way and you communicate it other way. And when that overwhelming majority 
judges you because you communicate another way or they have these false assumptions about you. What I loved about Coda was the way that it portrayed the deaf characters with round lives. They they had interests, the dad music fan and you know they 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 clearly were not pigeonholed as just people with disabilities i thought that was a major achievement what i thought was curious was that the hero of the movie is the hearing protagonist and is on this journey of self-discovery and one of the one of the smaller messages of the movie is that in some ways caring for her deaf family is holding her back and I, I thought that was an interesting message. And, you know, movies don't have to be moral and viewers don't have to agree with every single thing in a movie. But I thought that was an interesting message in a disability movie. And clearly a lot of people love that movie and other people took issue with it. When I wrote that article, I interviewed some deaf people to get, to get their perspectives on it. And they had really nuanced, interesting takes on it that changed my perspective. And I think made the article just worth reading. One disability movie that I truly loved and that I, I think everyone should watch is Sound of Metal. Have you seen that, Maya? I have not. It came out a year or two before Coda and it also got some Oscar nominations. And Riz Ahmed plays a drummer who is a hearing person for his whole life. And then he goes deaf because he, he plays like metal music, essentially. And so he, he loses his ability in his 30s. And, uh, and the whole movie is about the way he has to radically adjust his whole life and turn everything he knows upside down and it, it it does just this incredible job of exploring um cheering something versus accepting something and that tension that people with disabilities live with um, so i would highly recommend that if you've never seen it I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. I'm definitely going to get on it and and watch it at some point. 
Let's get into some listener questions. One of my Instagram followers is taco editor at the Texas Monthly. I don't know if you if you know him or not, but his name's Jose. And I think his last name is Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Of course you already know him. Great guy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So his question for you is how has the book shaped your current view of your stutter and your future as a journalist? I mean, I, I, I can't hide from it anymore. It's just not an option. It's completely off the table to be covert. And that's interesting. On one hand, it's liberating. On a, another hand, it's it's hard. You know, I... I Without a doubt, I feel better now than I did five or ten years ago when I was much more covert and when I wasn't public about the university stutters. But on the other hand, sometimes I feel like I'm walking around with a S on my chest and that it's the only thing that I'm identified by. But I think I'll keep pursuing other journalism topics long before writing about the topic of stuttering. I wrote about many other topics, journalism, music, politics, just board and I don't think that'll change after this book I'll, I'll always be interested in the topic of stuttering and I'll, I'll always be up for talking about it but I'm looking forward to the Going back to the wider world of journalism, million things out there to write and think about. But confronting this aspect of myself and just learning so much more about disability over the past few years has changed my life. And it's informed everything I've written and Pursuit since. Talking about journalism is one of my favorite topics. It's actually what I do for my day job. Um, so I'm not a journalist in my day job, but part of what I do is policy advocacy, supporting local journalism. And that is definitely a theme that comes up in your book, just the evolution of the newspaper industry and your in the middle of all of that before you landed at the Atlantic. So that was super interesting for me and really related to what what I work on on a daily basis. One of the other questions that I wanted to make sure to ask you is from another listener, Gina Chin Davis. And her question is, what's one mindset shift you'd like to see both people who stutter and non-people who stutter make in 
the name of progress and acceptance? Right now, I think this world of stuttering falls into two disparate camps. There are the people who go to NSA meetings and conferences or other self-help groups and are proud to be people who stutter. I mean, name your podcast, Proud Stutter, and wear t-shirts that promote acceptance of stuttering and take part in International International Stuttering Awareness Day. All of that. And I commend all of those people. I commend that entire portion of this population. But it's a small portion population of people who stutter. It's a very, very small portion. There's a much larger portion of population people who stutter that are doing the exact opposite of that. That are not only covert, but are not confronting it in any way. That are not bringing it to the surface. Not talking about it with friends and family or colleagues or employers. And living with a lot of pain, a lot of shame. The reason I know this is because people have emailed me their stories. And the amount of emails I get that are in that camp versus the other camp, there's just no comparison. So I think this movement of acceptance around stuttering needs to come up with more ways in. You know, not everybody is ready to wear a t-shirt, go to a conference, to call themselves person who who stutters, broadcasting. And there has to be some middle ground. It has to be okay to be ambivalent kind of exist in that gray area. We got to meet people where they are and just create venues for nuance and open conversation. I completely agree. And I'm so glad you said that because for me, like I like one example from my perspective too, just to add on to what you just said is I've asked several people and invited them on the show and they said i'm not ready it's not something i want to do and it's like that's totally okay like everyone's at a different part in their journey and i totally agree we need to um do a better job of meeting people where there are and 
being okay with where they're at in their journey. The last question we have is from another listener. Um, and I'm actually really excited to, a- to ask this because, um, yeah, it's, it's something I, I too am curious about. Is there something you learned about yourself or your stutter while making the New York Times video? I think I learned that I'm always going to be a little uncomfortable with it. I don't know if I'll ever get to a place of total comfort, total relaxation. That video came about because the documentarian James Robinson, who had made this incredible short documentary about his own disability, James was asked by the time to make three more videos about three different disabilities. And James reached out to me and he said he wanted to make a film about and film about stuttering and would I come in to the New York Times building and just allow him to interview me. And I went in and I was um, there in their studio for many hours and talking about the ins and outs of this and the mechanics of it daily challenges of it and you know being under lights and looking into a camera it was deeply uncomfortable and I it was physically uncomfortable it was mentally uncomfortable it was emotionally uncomfortable but it was an opportunity and I I felt like it's, it's just one of these things that you can't pass up and if someone is interested enough in this disability that only 1% of the population has, then you need to say, yes, you got to do it. But making that video, which, um, you know, it only ends up being seven or eight minutes in the end, making that, watching it, I'm not entirely comfortable and I can like keep getting older and I can keep working on my daily acceptance, keep trying to make peace of my own stutter. And I've, I've, I've made tons of progress on all of those fronts, but part of making peace was also realizing I'm, I'm never going to get to a place where it's just this total neutral part of it. There's something in, in my book that uh, the writer and journalist Nathan Heller says, which is whenever you have a block, it's like you're just connected to your entire history and you know you could be in your mid-30s at a Michelin star restaurant ordering bottle of wine be 
being an adult in every sense of the word. But you blot on that first letter and it takes you right back to first grade. And I couldn't agree more. And that too is just a thing that we have to learn to live with. Oh my gosh, I, I love that. It's a, 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 it's a re reminder for me that it's okay to not be okay. One of the other things that we didn't get into, but I'll just end with this, is I think I'm still trying to untrain myself to not just, not ju ju just ignore the feelings associated with my stutter and to, to really take time to feel those things because um, the the more I feel the feelings, the more I can be at a better, genuine place about my relationship with my stutter. So on that note, let's get to the most important question of all. Where can people find your book? Thank you so much, Maya. Really appreciate it. I'm really grateful for your thoughtful questions and for all the work you do on this podcast. My book is Life on Delay, and it's currently available for pre-order wherever you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or best of all, your local bookstore. It comes out on January 17th, and it'll be available everywhere. And there is also an audiobook that comes out that same day. Um, and as mentioned earlier in the show, I'll be traveling around a bit through from the end of January through much of the spring. And I would love just to keep meeting as many people who stutter as I can, having conversations and treating experiences. That's my favorite part of this whole project. And thank you again, Maya, for having me on here. It was an honor. That's it for this episode of Proud Stutter. This episode of Proud Stutter was produced and edited by me, Maya Chupkov. Our music was composed by Augusto Denise and our artwork by Mara Ezekiel and Noah Chupkov. If you have an idea or want to be part of a future episode, visit us at www.proudstutter.com. And if you like the show, you can leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Want to leave us a voicemail? Check out our show notes for the, the number to call in. More importantly, tell your friends to listen too. Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Be proud and be you. Be you.